0: You know, as we've come through yet another Advent season, and we've thought about the hope and peace, and joy and love, and the light, and as Ken led us last week, as we focused on the Christ candle, the light of the world. As we look to 2023, you know what will happen. We began with great hope, And then we begin to waver. And if we're not careful, we fall into despair. We begin with a sense of peace coming out of the Christmas season. And then we capitulate to unrest. Are you encouraged today? What's going on in your life? Or are you a little discouraged? How are you going into 2023? Well, this I think what happens with all of us is that we kind of vacillate between hope and despair and between peace and unrest. I want to illustrate that this morning by looking at, um, at some illustrations. From our um, our lives you know we began three years ago with the onset of a pandemic. It's lasted three years we feel like we have come out of it there's great hope and the world does offer some hope you know The COVID vaccines that we took, and some of you have had as many as four, they say that they may have forestalled or stopped as many as 20 million deaths in the world, maybe as many as 2 million in America. So there is a word of hope that comes from the world of science. The UN uh, has delivered over the past couple of years over a billion doses of vaccine to, 144 of the poorer nations, and they're working on the second billion set of doses. There is a word of hope that comes from science and medicine. But at the same time, the global deaths are approaching 7 million. And in America, it's been over a million, 1.1 million deaths. And even though they seem to be subsiding, still, the death rate in America is four times per capita of what it is in the rest of the world, and 2,000 people die each week from COVID even in this country. And they're saying that now, that China is facing a tsunami of COVID coming up in 2023. So the hope that the world offers in science and technology is in fact extinguished. When we look at our economy and our public welfare, there's a word of hope. American poverty rate has fallen This past year to 7.8%. It's the lowest rate in recorded history. Childhood poverty has fallen 60% in the last 30 years. And more Americans now have health insurance than they've ever had. This past year it fell to 8% that don't have it. Five million people more this past year than in 2020 have health insurance coverage. You see there's a word of hope that comes from the world. But I don't even have to say it, but I'm going to. You look at the economic situation in our country. Inflation, 8% this year, and what that does is it doesn't just affect us, it affects the poor nations of the world because we have to raise interest rates, and because of that, those, those nations that owe a lot of money, you see, they suffer, the poorer nations suffer. Look at the gas price volatil- volatility. I know the gas prices have come down, but they're still 40% higher than they were two years ago. The stock market dropped to 22% by the middle of the year. It's back up. Everybody cheers, but it's still 10% down from what it was in January 2021. And the market volatility, when you go and you look at your uh, annuities or whatever that are invested in the stock market, if you have any, it's encouraging when it jumps up 500 points today, and then tomorrow it drops 600 points. You see, the world of finance. The hope that it offers is extinguished by that despair. We look at crime. Violent crime, surprisingly enough, is down in this country. Down about 37% since 2012 in the past 10 years. That's amazing. The incarceration rate in Massachusetts has declined to the point it's at a 35 year low. There's a word of hope then that comes out of our prisons even. They are closing one of their two maximum security prisons. You see, there's a word of hope that comes from that. But then you look at the mass shootings in America. There were, this past year, 635 multiple shootings. That is, shootings of two or more people. And there were 21 mass shootings of over five who were killed. And we see that yet another candle is extinguished. When we look at war... The civil war in Ethiopia that has, been lasted, that has lasted for two years, that has killed thousands, that has displaced millions, and has caused famine, that has stopped for peace and truce was announced in November. But I don't need to say it. Look at what's happening in Ukraine. Over 250,000 killed. of the population displaced, eight million within the country, eight million outside the country as refugees, and it has not affected just Russia and the Ukraine. The global supply chain has been interrupted, food food shortages in some countries, and price hikes go along with it, and yet another candle is extinguished. Look at exploration and the boundaries that we have transcended this past year, Christmas, I mentioned in a sermon that the James Webb Space Telescope had been launched. It has now reached its destination. It is out there floating in space about a million miles past the Earth-Sun orbit. And it enables us to look at what was happening in stars 13 billion years ago on the boundaries of the universe. Amazing. But when we look at our own boundaries of our nations in this globe, there is a severe refugee crisis. 32 million people displaced Out of their own countries But that doesn't include those that are displaced within their countries Probably a hundred million people A tenth of a billion people on this planet Are displaced from their homes In key areas beyond the Ukraine In Syria, Afghanistan, the Sudan Yemen, Haiti, and many other nations And yet another candle is extinguished You look at some other comparisons, HIV and AIDS. Great news this past year, the first woman that in uh, recorded history has been cured of AIDS and she joins a group of three men that have been cured of AIDS. This offers hope then to over a million Americans who suffer with that disease. AIDS global death rate has fallen by 11% in the past two years and child infection rate has dropped 50% in the past 10 years, there is hope But then, on the other hand, you look at what's happening, for example, in Asia right now. Chinese militarization in the South China Sea, threatening Taiwan and stability there. The Belt and Road Initiative by China, that is to establish an infrastructure from Africa across the Middle East into China and Asia, has caused relationships between China and the West to deteriorate. North Korea launched 90, cruise missile and ballistic tests this past year, and we see the instability in Asia extinguishes yet another candle. We look at medical breakthroughs. There's a new Alzheimer drug that has hope of, de- of, of treating that disease, so that there's a decline of 27% over 18 months of the effects of Alzheimer's. There's a new malaria vaccine from Oxford that is about 80% effective. New Lyme disease medicine that gives hope to over a half million people globally there's a new drug that slows down the progression of Lou Gehrig's disease you see there's hope in medicine and yet when we look at our globe and we look at the political situation look at what has happened in England this past year this the reigning monarch for 70 years Queen Elizabeth is dead there has been some instability in the economy The last prime minister lasted 50 days, Liz Truss, before she was replaced by Rishi Sunak. You look at what's happening in South America, the pendulum swinging back between right and left and right and left governments. Today, Bolivia, Chile, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, and Venezuela all have leftist governments, and many of them had right-wing governments beforehand. There is not a lot of stability in the political scene. When you look at what is happening, in the world of medicine. The Gates Foundation has pledged over a billion dollars to cure polio, especially in Pakistan and Afghanistan. And there's a word of hope. But you look at the human rights violations around the globe. 40 million people somewhere in this globe today are victims of slavery and forced labor and the repressive governments of North Korea, Syria, Iran, and Myanmar then take away people's human rights and yet another candle is extinguished you know we think about our uh, own situation in this in this country yes there is hope whenever a new administration comes in they always talk about change and that's good and positive but we look at the division between our parties and we look at the divisiveness in our society, we do not know how to talk with one another civilly, and we find another candle extinguished. And that leaves what? You know, folks, when we think about hope and peace, when we think about all the worldly lights that offer some degree of hope when they are extinguished— When we look at all of the earthly remedies for peace, and they're exhausted, there is only one light that remains. And it is the what? It is the Christ light. It's the Christ candle. For we know this from his word, that he is the only one that offers eternal hope and peace represented by the candle that we lit last week. You know, last year, uh, one of the things that we did is we looked at those who had passed on from our congregation. That's not a tradition in our church to do every Christmas, every new year. But I would like to think about this vacillation between hope and despair in our own congregation. We have the joy of new birth. Here at Gamble Street, Abigail Joy Becker was born on the 25th of March, Friday. Seven pounds, 3.2 ounces, 17 inches long. There is joy in that birth. Emerson, that is Emmy Claire Cohn, was born on Monday, the 27th of June, also about seven pounds, exactly 11 ounces, and 20 inches long. You see, there is joy in that. Gaining new life in the congregation, and at the same time, there is sadness in the loss of our seven members this past year. In March, Ann Fricky, Vernon Thompson, and Faye Dowdle. In May, Flora LaFaver and Lori Hamlin. In August, Patsy Fox, and in September, Betty Latomsky. There's encouragement with the additions, 23 additions that we have had to the membership, the body of Christ here at Gamble Street Baptist Church. Alan and Olga, Ava and Alina Eswe, Cynthia Haynes, Ryan Sosa, Ann Spivey, J.T. Martin, John McQuaig, the Garvins, Joshua, Rebecca, Jaden, Caspian and Reagan, the Floyds, Jimmy and Gail Floyd, Vanessa Gaio, Mariano Gangora, Sonam, Akami, Sindatuba and Asenla, and Patrick Tufts. You see, there's encouragement. Clyde always used to speak about when people visited and they joined. And he would say this to us, that is a ministry of encouragement to the body. We are encouraged that you are with us, those of you who have joined us this past year. But there's also the discouragement of the loss of family and friends. In January, Michelle McKinney's mother, Carolyn, passed away. Carla Johnson's sister, Chris Mitchell. Natalia Bolger's brother, Daniel. His mother-in-law, Daria Gagri. Mark Stepherson's uncle, Joel McRennell's grandmother, Nathan Webster's grandfather. We prayed for each one of these in January. In February, Naveen's dad, Murdy Corconda, In March, Carla's cousin, Donna Williams. In April, Louisa Delosier's uh, De uncle, Francisco Duran. Dwayne Merritt's brother-in-law, Ronnie Whitley. Bill Smith, our friend from Benbrook, his wife passed away in April, Lois. Joe Matos' uncle, George. In May, Pat Bean's brother, Wayne Wilman. In June, Lindell and Lenora Anderson's daughter, Linnell. Our friend Lucian Coleman, longtime professor of religious education at Southwestern Seminary and Carroll Institute, died in June. In July, Vlad Nikolaev, the son of Sergei and Helen Nikolaev, our friends from St. Petersburg, passed away. Mark Becker's dad's cousin, Bill Meyer. Franny McLean lost three cousins in succession in a matter of days in July. Otto Lopez, Dan Martinez, and Stanley De La Rosa. In August, Niraja's Coracunda's sister Manju, David Dodson's mother Dorothy, Jay and Naomi's friend and neighbor, Margie, Linda Merritt's co-worker Chris Beerline. We prayed for all of these in August and September. Joe Montos's dad, Freddie, Ted Witt's brother, John. In October, Gail Shipley's sister, Lynn. Our good friend and endorsing agent for chaplains for BGCT, Bobby Smith, passed away in October. In November, our good friend and my family, Finley Brewster, in San Antonio, Elaine Johnson's sister, Mary Wallace. In December, Clyde and Kay's nephew, Guy Glazner. And the shocking news that we heard from Ken last week, our friend Sergei Nikolaev himself passed away from a heart attack on the 23rd of December. We're encouraged by new members who join, and we're discouraged when we lose family and friends. But I want to remind us of what we said two weeks ago about our source of joy. When we're in Christ, our joy is not based on the prosperity or the adversity that we face. And we should never be too high nor too low. We should learn to be what? Content. Content in the circumstances that we have been given. We need to learn to live by humble means and to live in prosperity in every circumstance, as Paul said. True joy does not come... Only out of adversity or prosperity, we need to stay focused on the giver of joy, and that is Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him then endured the suffering of the cross so that he might go home to be with the Father. That's one observation I would make from all of this. Repeat it. A second is this, and it has to do with a text from Isaiah this morning, Isaiah 62, Stay on task for the Lord. It is easy for us to talk about peace and hope and joy and love and light at Christmas time. It's easy for us to do that when we're not in the trenches at work yet for the next year and all the difficulties that we will face. We need to stay on task for the Lord. And Jesus reassures us of this as we enter 2023. Are there going to be anxieties and problems that we all face? Yes. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And you know how that passage goes. He has a a place prepared for us. When we are tired, when we're discouraged, when we're weary, he says to us, come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden. Yoke yourselves to me, for you see my burden is light. He tells us to be on guard. You see, when we get discouraged, it's been 2,000 years since he went back to be with the Father, and he hasn't come back yet. His Holy Spirit is amongst us, but he has not come back yet. Is he coming back, congregation? Amen. But sometimes it's easy to get discouraged. That hadn't happened for 2,000 years. But he says to us, be on guard. Stand up. Lift up your heads. For your redemption draws near. You know, when I heard that Sergei passed away in the late hours of December the 23rd, I was really discouraged. You've lost family and friends. One of the reasons that I mentioned each one of those names is I think by the time I went through that list, everyone in this congregation this past year has been touched by the death of a family member or a friend or a neighbor. And it's easy to get discouraged. And we were in that motel room, our bags were lost, <laughs> and God providentially helped us find them. That's good news. But you know, it's easy to let the little things in life discourage you. And then I hear that Sergei has passed away, and I just looked over my shoulder at Beverly and I said, Shouldn't we just give up? Have you ever felt like that? My friend, Finley Brewster struck down with pancreatic cancer, Bobby Smith with liver cancer, and you begin to see the friends around you your own age who are dying early. It's easy to get discouraged. And then, Ben, I looked at the liturgy that you had for us today. and I opened Isaiah 62. Did you hear what John Morgan read? Did you listen to it? You see, there's a challenge in there, and there's an encouragement there. And what he says is when you get discouraged and when you're down and out, keep on keeping on. Stay engaged in the Lord's work. Don't give up. Pastors get discouraged too. And sometimes they feel like giving up. Isaiah had all the reason in the world to give up. He was an old man near the end of his ministry. He'd been prophesying during four reigns, four different kings, one of them quite evil, and was probably living in the reign of Manasseh, who was the most evil king in Judean history. He had lived through the idolatrous 16-year reign of Ahaz, And even though there was a revival under Hezekiah, he still saw around him social injustice and superficial worship. He's probably living about this time during the reign of Manasseh, and he knows about the impending doom that is going to descend upon Judah sometime for its disobedience, and they're going to go into exile and captivity. And according to Talmudic tradition, Isaiah himself then was probably martyred during the reign of Manasseh, sawn in two. If there was ever a person who had a reason to be discouraged and just say, I'm going to give up. I'm just going to roll over and die, it was Isaiah. But God sustained him. He kept Isaiah faithful with a message of encouragement that you have heard this morning hope of the coming Messiah. And he gave Isaiah that message. Reject worldly pessimism, he said. Reject all the other candles of empty hope. And Stay focused on the Messiah who's coming Be embraced by the Lord's joy That comes out of this passage You hear what Isaiah has said of the Lord He delights in his people The Lord rejoices in his people He rejoices in you today Isaiah clothed with God's salvation God wrapped Isaiah In the robe of his righteousness And then he gives him the right Perspective To enter the new day And that is this, never give up Verses 1 through 5. Stand the watch. Verses 6 through 9. And then keep on keeping on. Prepare the way. Verses 1 through 5 quickly. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations, you see, will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name with which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. These words are spoken to us, friends. It will no longer be said to you forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate, but you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you. He delights in each one of you in his kingdom, you see. And to him your land will be married. For a young man, as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. There's all the cause in the world as we enter 2023 to rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. We have a story, he says here. This is not just a story for us, but it is a story for all nations that he proclaims here. We've a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right a story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and what? And light. For the darkness shall turn to the dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright. And Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth, the kingdom of love and light. You see, the message that Isaiah proclaims here is, God's salvation is coming. His righteousness will be restored, no matter the empty hope that is offered in this earth by worldly governments. His righteousness will be restored and will be visible to everyone. A new order will be established. The old order will pass away. And there will be a new name under which we go. And his name is Jesus. We know that. And he will use us, we're told here, as his instruments to bear witness to his glory. And the end result is this. Our relationship with God will be consummated. We will be wrapped in the robes of righteousness. What that means is we're not just going to be right, not just be forgiven, but beyond that, our relationship with the Lord God Almighty will be restored, and it is symbolized in this passage by the marriage, the metaphor of the marriage. And of course, this points to the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of the Lamb that we see in Revelation, where God's people, His holy nation, the priesthood of believers who are the body of Christ will be the bride of Christ and he will be the bridegroom. The application of this first point, never give up. Never give up. God will accomplish all of this himself. You know, sometimes we get so discouraged because we think we've got to do all these things for God. We have this burden that he's put on us and this task that we have to go and to win the world for Christ. Well, folks, we do need to be prophetic. We do need to be obedient. We do need to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. But folks, it is not we who do it. This passage tells us it is he himself that will do it, not ourselves. He simply expects us to be faithful. When we get discouraged because our machinations and our designs don't bring in hope, don't bring in peace, we need to remember this. He is able, and he can. And we should never keep silent. We should never remain quiet. We should never give up. Every day we should wake up with a renewed vigor to start over. We read from Psalm 98 that we're to sing to the Lord a new song just a few moments ago. Psalm 96 puts it this way, sing to the Lord a new song, you know it, sing to the Lord all the earth. You might remember we preached on this not long ago, and that means to sing a new song isn't just a brand new song, although it is that. It means to sing it anew as well. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, proclaim glad tidings of His salvation day by day, unending, never give up. Tell the glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. We have a responsibility never to give up. Secondly, he says, stand the watch in verses 6 through 9. On your walls, he says, O Jerusalem, I have appointed what? Watchmen. All day and all night, they will never, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. No rest. And give him no rest. Wow. Don't give the Lord any rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. You see, the Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His strong arm, and He's sworn this to us, I will never again give your grain as food for your enemies, nor will foreigners drink your new wine for which you have labored. For those who garner it will, will eat it and praise the Lord, and today we will do that. Today we will drink from the new wine, and we will eat of the host that celebrates the giving of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And those who gather it will drink in the courts of my sanctuary. This is a reminder to what we heard Jay talking about earlier. Every believer is responsible to God. We're a holy nation, we're a kingdom of priests. And when you look at verse number 12, he makes this very obvious. He reminds us that we're a holy people, we're the redeemed of the Lord, and he calls us to stand watch in these verses. Stand the watch. Not just don't give up, that's still at the core of it. But what do we do then is we don't give up. Stand the watch as a holy nation. Every believer is a servant of the Lord. We know this. Each one of you is responsible for ministering. To ministering to him as you do today as you come to minister to him in worship and offer yourselves as spiritual sacrifices. And then to go out there and to minister to others by serving others, the least of these brothers of Christ. He gives us a responsibility to steward his creation, which we see in Genesis 1 and 2. He gives us a responsibility to make disciples in the Great Commission. And here he gives us another duty, and that is to be the watchman. To be the watchmen that are put on the walls. And in the Old Testament, there's several words for watchmen. One of them means to guard, to keep from danger, to kind of hide in safety and and keep there. It's not tsar. The word safa is different. It means to observe. It means literally to watch. It means to watch closely, to look out, remain watchful. And he expects us to do both of those things. He expects us to be guardians. He expects us to be observant and to watch and to look for dangers coming. But the word that is used here is shamar. It means to keep, especially keep the covenant, to take heed of God's laws and requirements and to ensure that we are obedient. It's that kind of watchfulness. And that's the duty that he calls watchmen to here. This word in other passages in the Old Testament really brings out our dependence on God. We're watchmen that depend on Him, and through us He uses us, but we depend on Him for our safety. And we proclaim His word as watchmen. Psalm 127, Unless the Lord... Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps watch in vain. You see, he is the one that we must rely on. In Isaiah 21, the watchman awaits God's oracle. It is God's word that is to be proclaimed to the people. Song of Solomon, the watchmen are officials that make sure that the word of God is kept and discipline is properly exercised. In Jeremiah 51, the watchmen are the sentries, who posts God's oracles and prophecies upon the walls of Babylon that proclaim the judgment that is going to come upon Babylon. The point is this. What he is saying here is we have duties as a watchman to be engaged with the Lord and to depend upon Him to proclaim His Word. It's interesting. Look what it says in verse number 6. It says, we are to constantly remind the Lord without resting. Verse number seven, and boy, this really sounds odd at first. Don't give God a rest. Constantly doing what? Reminding him of his promise. Now, he doesn't need to be reminded of his promise. It's not for him. He wants us to be reminded of his promise, and we come to him and we remind him of the promises that he has given to us. What is being spoken about here? What does this mean? God has promised to restore Jerusalem and God has promised that he is going to send his son Jesus Christ to consummate the kingdom. And we must do what? What is the job of watchmen here? What is our primary job? We think about as watchmen, we're supposed to guard, to protect, and to do, and to proclaim. We do those things. But here it says your primary responsibility is to do what? To talk to God. Your primary responsibility here is to remind him. Your primary responsibility is to stay engaged in prayer and asking God to keep His promise that He has given to us. The Lord's Prayer. Whenever we do that, we do exactly what He said. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. As watchmen, it's not so much hear about what we do for Him is what we do with Him. He's calling us in 2023 to be faithful in what? To be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in our relationship to Him. Will you be discouraged? Yes. Will there be despair? Will there be difficulties? Will there be problems? Yes. What is the answer? Go into your closet and pray to the Lord. We have a responsibility as watchmen not just to pray to the Lord, but to do what? To pray for our nation. The most important thing that we can do for our nation this week isn't to convince people through apologetics. It isn't to persuade them through politics. Although we do all of those things, the most important thing that we do for our nation is this, that we pray for our nation. And then finally, to prepare, verses 10 through 12. Go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, lift up a standard over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, lo, your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And then they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you, his people, will be called Sought out a city that is not forsaken. This echoes Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 put it this way. Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth the desert highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground be, become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. And then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and the flesh will see it together For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. About whom was this speaking? It was speaking about John the Baptist. He was the one that fulfilled this commission. He came proclaiming the way of the Lord in the wilderness and proclaimed the coming of Christ. And it is our commission today. Just as John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord, Isaiah is telling us as the people of God that we are to prepare the way for the Lord. We are to lift up a standard In in military terms, it's the banner, it's the standard, it's the flag that is in the middle of the unit that everybody rallies around in the time of battle. It's used ten times in Isaiah. What is this standard that he's talking about raising? It's defined in Isaiah 11. The same phrase is used there. One of the ten times it's used in Isaiah. What is this standard? It says very clearly, it is the root of Jesse. Jesse. It is the root of Jesse, whom we know to be Jesus Christ, is the standard. We are to lift him up. And he becomes the rallying point around which all of God's people gather. And it says in that passage in Isaiah 11, then the root of Jesse then will gather all of his people from the four corners of the world. And that is an allusion to what Jesus says is going to happen at the end times. And he says that the angels of God are then going to sweep around the globe and they're going to draw the saints from all the four winds, of the earth and collect them together under his banner the new covenant fulfillment of this passage is found when Jesus says to Nicodemus just as the brazen serpent was raised in the desert and lifted up so the son of man must be lifted up so that people may be saved you see the banner the symbol of this root of Jesse in the new covenant is the cross the central symbol of this message, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When we lift up the standard, we lift up the cross of Christ so that people can look to Him for their salvation. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye what? Soldiers of the cross. Lift high His royal banner. What is that banner? That banner is the cross of Jesus Christ. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, His army shall He lead till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. How do we prepare the way for the coming of the Lord? We lift up the banner, we lift up the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul told the Corinthians, I came to you with this intent in mind. The one thing that I was passionate about was not to teach you. The one thing that he was passionate about was not to plant a church. The one thing that he was passionate about was not to establish a discipleship program. The one thing that he was passionate about was to know Jesus Christ. And Him crucified. The thing that we do this next year beyond prayer is to lift up the cross of Christ and to bear His message to prepare the way of salvation. And it's a universal message. It says your salvation comes and it's going to be proclaimed to all the nations in the form of Jesus Christ. You see, the reward is Jesus Christ Himself. Salvation comes... Only in the person of Jesus Christ, for there is salvation and no one else, we're told by Paul, but by in Acts. For there's no name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved, except the Christ. When he comes, he's going to bring two things. He's going to bring his reward, and the reward is himself. The reward comes with him in this passage. It is him. But he also brings recompense. What does that mean? It means that he also comes as judge. You see, the recompense comes before him. The reward comes with him. He is the reward, he is the salvation. But the recompense comes before him. Well, what does that mean? As we prepare the way for the Lord this next year, and as we remain diligent in prayer, and as we prepare the way for the Lord, we need to remind our nation that it's not just a matter of salvation. It's not just a matter of calling people to Christ and the easy road of just coming to Him on their own terms. But Isaiah makes this very clear in Isaiah 63, the next chapter, and 64, the next chapter, and 65, the next chapter. There is a recompense that comes with the coming of the Lord. For chapter 63 says, what must happen first is there must be repentance. God promises salvation But that salvation comes to Israel after he has chastised Israel and he has taken them into captivity and then he returns them from exile. And he expects them before their salvation will arrive to do what? To repent. Chapter 64 is a great intercessory prayer. If we want to know what to do as watchmen of the wall this next year, read chapter 64. And it reminds us that we're to call our nation, as Isaiah did, out of its sinfulness to repentance. And at the same time, then, to beg God for his mercy upon our nation. And then Isaiah 65 finally closes what this means. He comes with his salvation, but there are two options. Those who do not respond, those who do not repent, and who continue to live in hypocrisy and empty worship, who are not genuine followers of Christ and are disobedient, will be cursed. But those who are his true servants... Those who repent will enjoy the salvation of knowing the new name of the new king, and that is Christ, and will enjoy the blessings of a new heaven and a new earth. You see, this is the message of the gospel. As we proclaim it this next year, we need to tell people that God loves them, and He loves us, that He's bringing his salvation, He's bringing the good news, but there is a prerequisite. We don't earn our salvation, but there's a prerequisite to salvation. And what is it? You know, it said after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went throughout Galilee proclaiming the good news. And what did he say? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the gospel. Preparing the way for the Lord means... We must be vigilant, we must be diligent, we must be faithful, we must never give up. We must proclaim the salvation of the Lord, but we must pray for our nation and the mercy of God and call our nation to repentance. Let me close with this. We have two duties as watchmen on the wall. First and foremost, and most important, is to pray. To pray for God's mercy and restoration. Second, but indispensable, is this. We must continue, friends, even when we're discouraged. In this cultural apologetic series, I've said this to you, and I think you've felt it. Sometimes we get discouraged when we look at our society falling apart. Do not be discouraged. The Lord is in control. And he calls us to proclaim repentance to our nation. And my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Mm. Second observation is we must rely entirely on the Lord to do this. You see, it begins with him and it ends with him. Let me go back to Psalm 127. You know about the, the God guarding the city? In its full context, it says this. You see, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman. Keeps awake in vain. He calls us to be faithful watchmen, but he's the one that's going to accomplish it. Be faithful in prayer and preparing the way. And then finally, be encouraged. Never stay silent. Never remain quiet. Never give up. You will face discouragement this next year. Don't give up. You turn to your spouse or your friend or your family member and you ask them, do you feel that like giving up? Spouse or family member or friend, then your response should be, never give up. Don't remain silent. The Lord is coming. Stand up. Lift up your head. Your redemption is near.